PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Just to say it's not really sponsored by anyone, it's sponsored by us, LogRocket, and we're giving it away for free. The podcast is free, the product is not free. There's a free trial, we could split hairs about whether or not that's free to you, but anyway, that's it. There are no more ads. If you're interested and you want us to know that you came from the podcast, please go to logrocket.com slash podrocket. If you don't care, logrocket.com works just fine. Thanks. On today's episode, Ben and Kate talk to Caleb Porzio about Alpine JS, where it fits in the space, and what to expect in 2021. Finally, they get into some of Caleb's other creations, uh, like Laravel Livewire and MakeVSCodeAwesome.com. Let's get started. So, hey, Caleb, how's it going? Great. How about yourself? Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Just to start off, tell us a little bit about, you know, Alpine. Oh, what can I say about Alpine? It's a small, minimal, simple front-end framework. It's the framework built for my needs as somebody (laughs) who wants, like, a little more than jQuery, a little bit less than React. Yeah, so I I was doing some research, and it is interesting because... It kind of sort of has like all these competitors and, you know, all these like inspirations and stuff. And it's, you know, competitor of stimulus, you know, maybe a little yeah, bit yeah. of you. It's been compared to jQuery. I guess kind of talk about, you know, kind of where it fits in the space. Yeah. Where does it fit? I mean, the pitch would be closest to stimulus. So maybe I'll give you a little bit about where it came from. And that's probably kind of the answer of, of where it fits. So, you know, I started making like backend PHP web apps a while ago, came in at like CodeIgniter and then Laravel and just sprinkling JavaScript around my front ends with jQuery when I needed it. And then at some point I got into Vue.js and started basically making SPAs with like full backends and full front ends for years and just started to feel the weight of the maintenance cost, you know, really of just going kind of whole hog on JavaScript, basically yeah. <laughs> like writing so many things twice and managing state in two different places. And there's just so much to manage that really simple things became really difficult, like uploading a file or anything like that. You know, it just got kind of crazy. So I started to kind of like long for those early days of simplicity where, yeah. you know, as a single full stack developer, I could create quite a bit in a short amount of time. And I felt like I'd lost some of that. So anyway, so I'd begun this journey to find something a little bit more minimalistic. I started just using vanilla JavaScript, kind of going on a JavaScript diet. But you know, <laughs> there there is some some benefit to JavaScript frameworks. And I thought like stimulus is for me. When I like read the front page of stimulus, I'm like this. I love the Basecamp guys. I love DHH. I love everything they do. And so reading that page, I'm like, that's the framework that I want because he shares the same philosophy. But using it, it just didn't cut it for me. I think because I had been tainted by Vue, by like Vue's templating system and everything, I'd been tainted by templates that react to data changes, you know, just that declarative style of writing your templates that to me is so crucial. And with something like stimulus, I felt like I still had to write a lot of imperative code like jQuery. I had to do a lot of grab this thing, change this thing, listen for this event, then do this. And I really want the declarative nature of viewer. I can say the text of this thing is this piece of data and then just worry about changing that piece of data and the template will update. So anyway, so I had just started like really just writing down with a pen and pad the perfect JavaScript framework. And I sort of landed (laughs) on this hilarious like, wait, I think I just want Vue just with like half the stuff. And I want to be able to just use it like I use Tailwind, like right in the markup. I don't want to necessarily have to separate the markup from the behavior. So that's how Alpine was born. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's awesome. No, that's great. So, you know, looking on Twitter, like even, you know, Evan, you tweeted like, I love Alpine. And it, it does yeah, fill a cool. niche where even Vue is a little too heavy handed. You know, we see it in our blog posts all the time, you know, this versus this thing. And it's like, well, it right. really depends on, there really is no like competitor, like apples to apples. And I do like to throw in the competition questions, but um, yeah, I mean, it just in, depends on what you need. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm a lover of Vue. I'm a lover. Of, I love React. I love a lot of the projects. I guess this is just the one that fits best for me. And it's, it's more my style, but. You know, I really admire most of those projects that you mentioned and go through their source and, you know, worship their developers and all that stuff. So <laughs> it's not really, I guess it is a competition in the sense that I, I don't like when people say it's not a competition because if you use Alpine, you're not using yeah. stimulus. You know what I mean? Like, right, so in that right. sense, it's not like we can all just hang out in the same and, you know, everything's <laughs> whatever, but I don't feel in competition in the sense that I'm trying to like rob from their market share or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least in spirit, yeah. you know? One of the things that I'm curious about is the kind of big distinction between frameworks like React, where you're writing JSX in your JavaScript files versus Vue. And mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like Alpine, where you mentioned it's in the markup. And so you're kind of, you're basically writing HTML, but then writing your JavaScript in, in the HTML markup. Yeah, It seems like your opinion is that you prefer the latter, but I'm kind of curious, like, what do you see as the, the trade-offs, the pros and cons of, of each approach? Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely trade-off. So I guess I'll say when I was using Vue, so I guess the way that I used Vue mostly, and I think this is probably pretty idiomatic, is you reference methods and data inside your template and you don't do much else inside of it. Like inside of, let's say, a V text or I don't know, like V on or any of those directives in your Vue template, you can write full JavaScript expressions. You could bind a class name with using an expression a JavaScript expression, but one, it feels like kind of going against the grain. It also, you can't access the window object. So you can't do lots of things like, I don't know if you want to even just do like a set timeout, like you can't do that stuff right inside those expressions. So they feel pretty handholdy. So I wanted to create something that you're more free to do anything you want directly in the expressions. Cause I started doing stuff like, okay, let's say that I have a piece of data called show. And I want to have a button where I toggle show and I toggle a, a div or something based on that, like a dropdown. In view, I could create a method called show, a method called hide, a method called toggle. I could create a variable called show and a computed property called hidden or something, you know, where I would much rather just in the template say a V, I have to remember my view, V if show, <laughs> or if I wanted to like hide it, V if exclamation point show, or if I want to toggle it, show equals not show, you know? So you can do that stuff in Vue. And I started to do that. And I was like, wait, this feels really good to me. And so Alpine kind of takes that further. So that's at least partially an answer that my philosophy with Alpine has been push more behavior into the markup because that's where it lives. Like that's where you reference it. So it's kind of the same thing as Tailwind, like the same benefits that I found moving from something like Bootstrap to Tailwind I feel moving from something like Vue where you have separate properties, methods, all that stuff in a separate JavaScript, at least section, moving it right in the markup. And then the story for reuse being other abstractions like backend includes or something like that. Yeah. So Caleb, I guess that's kind of a good segue, like like the rise of HTML centric tools. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about everything all is new again, where you're holding responsibility always shifts. Maybe yeah. speak to that a little bit, kind of just as, you know, the tool has grown. 
So I guess uh, the thing I said before, and I'll probably keep saying, a lot of the move from CSS things like Bootstrap, component frameworks, or even CSS methodologies like BEM or object-oriented CSS, stuff like that, the move away from that and into utilities like Tachyons, Tailwind, whatever, kind of represents a lot of the same motives for moving away from something like, I'll just pick on jQuery right now because it's the, you know, I don't know, I'm just going to pick on it. From something like jQuery to something like Alpine, where jQuery, you might have an ID on an element and like that's the only reference to that element. Then you have your jQuery somewhere else where you get element by ID or something. And there's a lot to be gained by co-locating HTML behavior with HTML. So I guess in all those ways, that's the evolution that has happened in my own life. And that's Alpine is a part of that evolution. But I'll also even take it like a step further and say that a lot of these tools like React and, and Vue, they use virtual DOMs and they kind of create a layer of abstraction around the actual raw bare metal DOM. And I wanted something that didn't do that, that didn't feel like that. And so Stimulus is very much like that. And that's that's a core philosophy I share with Stimulus is that the DOM is actually way better now. There's so many APIs that have come up that make our lives much easier than they were before. So things like dot class list and data set and things like that, that just make things a lot nicer. But also, I mean, the DOM, it's not like manipulating the DOM is slow. It's because at the end of the day, those big libraries that use virtual DOMs, they end up boiling down changes into a set of DOM changes. Like they're still manipulating the DOM, but they're doing a lot of work on top of it. That's kind of like a more insider's view. And I, I would love to go more into the like technical underpinnings of Alpine. But I'll say from like an outsider's perspective, when you're using it, when you're using something like Vue, when you want to work with real DOM, like if you want to pull in like a like pick a day library or select to or some sort of like little library that uses the actual DOM, you feel like you have to subvert the system of componentry and virtual DOM nodes and you have to use refs and you have to, you know, ignore parts of the tree that, you know, whatever. So I wanted a framework that was like more rugged than that, that was more close to the metal. So I use Mutation Observer so I can deal with other things changing the DOM. It won't break my fragile structure of virtual DOM that only I can manage. And it's a lot more performant because of that. In the same way that Svelte is more performant, it's this, it's just like Svelte in that way. So Another tool that you know we can compare it to. <laughs> it's actually a lot like Svelte in a lot of ways under the hood. What were the downsides of that approach? Like one kind of nice aspect of... Not necessarily with a virtual DOM, but working with JSX is you can, for folks who like JavaScript and like to yeah. write their JavaScript in a functional way, you don't have to learn a DSL. You can just kind of use JavaScript that you know. Yeah. And when you start to have like complex logic for displaying or not displaying components or for rendering lists or things like that, you know, there's one school of thought that that's easier to do just writing JavaScript in JSX. Though, yeah. you know, there's obviously downsides to that as well. But I guess, are there other other downsides that I'm, I'm not considering to the approach you know you use in Alpine? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So like in React with JSX, you know, the, it's just JavaScript thing. I think that's rad. And I, I love seeing JSX as a templating engine where like in Vue, you, if you want to do something, you look up the directive for it. You know, if you want to loop through something, it's V4. Where in React, there's this feeling of like, ooh, I'm just using JavaScript. I can just dot map which I think is really cool. So in that sense, yeah, that's great. And I also think I'm more just steel manning the argument, pumping up the other side. <laughs> One of the things I love about virtual DOM is you can have these like 
ephemeral renderless components because like the component abstraction is not dom based so you can create so many different abstractions there's so many cool things you can do with a system like that that i think is really cool and in Vue, you can do that stuff too you could use jsx in Vue. there's still like you know an h method or whatever render component it's the same right building up the same tree so you could use jsx in Vue. you know the templating engine is just kind of gravy on top of that so anyway, so the pros of an Alpine approach are that, well, one, like I'd mentioned, it's close to the DOM. And so you get all the benefit of being right in the DOM. You can listen to native events in the browser. You're not listening for event abstractions. You can use like the browser's event bubbling system. And But I guess like the, the best answer is actually that you use Alpine differently than those frameworks. Like Alpine is not responsible for my app's templates entirely. I'm still using it in a back-end context. So I think the sweet spot for Alpine is not to build out a full SPA at all. It's going to fall on its face compared to something like <laughs> React or Vue. It's for people, if you're building a Rails app, an Express app, a Laravel app, a Django app, you're going to love Alpine because you love your back-end templating engine and you get to sprinkle in behavior and it works really well. And also if you're working in like static sites, uh, that's, that's the other place that Alpine really shines is like marketing pages, documentation sites, all that stuff. That's the fit. So it's a tool for a specific context. That makes sense. And is there a story for server-side rendering with Alpine? Cause like, you know, marketing sites or documentation or things like that is kind of a, you know, a core use case for when you might want to do some server-side rendering to speed up performance or improve SEO or things like that. Sure. So I'm working on the Alpine doc site right now. So this is kind of like a meta answer. It's a Laravel based app. So the site, all the templates are generated on the back end. So it's all SEO. It's all server generated in the sense in like the old school way where templates are generated on the server in a back end language. I'm working on right now, as you scroll, I want the sub navigation items that are in the viewport to highlight, you know, just live scrolling. And that's something where Alpine's perfect. I can just sprinkle Alpine in, listen for scroll events and highlight, you know, the proper headings. So I think that really is the best answer that I can give you as far as server generated in like Alpine templating. That's not really a concept, but you can prepare your markup to be ready on first paint, you know, like on the back end. So let's say if there's something that you want to toggle in Alpine solely, but you know, from the back end, it comes shown and you might get that little jank, that little blip that, you know, for a second it shows and then Alpine kicks in and hides it until you reshow it. So I guess there's a few different stories for that. One, you could use Xcloak, same thing as Vcloak. You could just like disable that section of the page mm-hmm. until JavaScript loads. But that's what SSR is supposed to answer is that problem of like, why don't you have that stuff all ready to go and then hydrate it up, but you already have the markup in its default state. So yeah, so Xcloak is out for that. So with that, you could literally just add style equals display none, like inline attribute onto the div in the backend, and it will just be hidden by default. You could add a hidden class and it'll do the same thing because it just uses CSS to hide stuff anyway. It's not like managing a whole DOM tree itself. Yeah, awesome. Maybe we could talk a little bit about, you touched on it lightly, like directives and that sort of stuff. Yeah, like available directives in Alpine and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so the core of Alpine is Xdata. That really is the magic sauce. It's really simple and subtle, but it's funny because I feel like it's a given now, but I remember when this wasn't even a thought of mine and it popped into my head and I went, wait a minute, what if this framework was like Vue, except 
the data, like declaring a component, was also a directive that you would just put in markup. And what if instead of referencing some JavaScript object somewhere else, you just literally put in the data as a literal right there yeah. in the markup? And then everything inside of that div or whatever element has access to the data in its template and its scope. So X data is God in Alpine. That's the sauce. <laughs> then there's lots of little like handy ones, same kind of ones in view, like X show is how you toggle an element on and off. X on, you know, you're listening for events. And I, I added a few things because like the driving force behind Alpine initially was I was going on a JavaScript diet and I really just needed JavaScript for like toggling stuff first and foremost, like tabbed browsing type deal on a page, maybe like steps in a multi-step form dropdowns, uh, like profile dropdowns, stuff like that. I needed basically to toggle stuff. That was the primary thing I needed. And I thought, why is it so difficult to do this? And so I created Alpine in these directives, but also there's specific things that are kind of annoying to do. Like when you click on a dropdown, you want it to show. But then mm -hmm. when you click away from it, you want it to hide. And this is right. not a trivial task. <laughs> you have to right. kind of like <laughs> dig in and use event delegation and browser events and track like the event target of the originating event and all this stuff. And I thought, well, Alpine should be a framework that's built for these common needs. So there's at click, which is listening for a click, and you can add dot away, which is basically the inverse of it. It's like listening for a click away from the thing that it's declared on, and then it'll just run whatever expression you put inside of it. So it's little extra modifiers like that, little niceties that I've added just to kind of, you know, speak to the experience of the everyday developer working with browsers in the DOM. Right. Yeah. So there's listening for events. There's binding attributes, just like view. You know, you can bind any attribute dynamically, classes, style, attributes, disabled, whatever. Those are the biggies. And then there's then there's a few extra smaller. There's X4. I mean, that's that's a big one. Looping. But the first iteration of Alpine had no concept of like a list, you know, listing right. system. And same thing with with X if. One way that that differs from V4 and Vue is it uses a template tag, which again just speaks to the nature of Alpine is like template tags are a thing in browsers. Like we have this thing in browsers that automatically doesn't show it on initial render and just stores that markup for you when you need to make it alive, when you need to hydrate it, you can pull that fragment out of the DOM and put it somewhere. So that's X4. And then X transitions. Alpine also has a really robust transition system that is like extremely, uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding like whatever, but it, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. It took a long time. And it was pretty much driven by Tailwind UI. I'm friends yeah. with, with Adam and he, he loved Alpine right away. And he wanted to use it in Tailwind UI, but he's like, dude, you need like a really good transition system. And so I came up with one. He's like, no, 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 no. Like I need full control over the Bezier curves and I needed the transition out to be half the duration of the transition in. And I need the transitions to cascade so that if an inner transition, so that an outer one doesn't stop and hide something before an inner one finishes. And it's, it's like stupid <laughs> complex, but it's done now and stable and it's really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I listened to the episode of Full Stack Radio with cool. you. And at the time, it was about a year ago, you were talking about how there wasn't a loop option. In, oh, in no way. So, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Funny, I don't even remember that time. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Now, as we look to the future, curious, what's the future of Alpine? Like, what are you kind of most excited about on your roadmap for the next you know, couple months, couple years? You know, yeah. What, yeah, what's what's out there? So I rewrote Alpine recently. It's not released. It'll be Alpine version three. And it's a total rewrite from the bottom up. 
I guess the the big architectural difference now is that every DOM manipulation in Alpine going forward after V3 will be a true side effect of state manipulation. So of like reactive state. And maybe the best way to explain that on a and from like a bird's eye view, if you have like a thousand components on a page, and like if one tiny element of the thousand elements relies on one specific piece of data, when that piece of data changes, only that element changes and nothing more, which is a huge improvement. And Alpine is, it's like JS Sprinkle. So it's not used really to drive out full SPA, huge front end. So you don't really run into performance issues as much as like, I guess I don't have to care as much about performance as some of the big frameworks, but it feels really nice to me to have that really lightweight style under the hood rather than walking the DOM and re-rendering every time something changes. So that's huge. And I'm using Vue 3's reactivity core for that. So basically the core of the reactivity core of Alpine initially was just my own hand-rolled proxy-based reactivity engine. And then that broke down quick because you have to support every single JavaScript type and unlimited <laughs> levels of nesting. And it's crazy. So I ended up using Observable Membrane, which is Salesforce's reactivity core that Vue 3's reactivity core is inspired from, whatever. Uh, but now Vue 3 is out. And so the reactivity engine is like a JavaScript module that you can import on your own. It's not tied to Vue in any way. And it's freaking awesome. It's like solves a thousand problems that Alpine has had to work through over the year and some change, like instantly. So that is the core of Alpine 3. And I get to focus on, you know, making the core as like expressive and lean as possible. So yeah, maybe that's like kind of a really deep tech answer. There's there's some other not as technical answers, but that's the technical one of like, where is Alpine headed? That's where it's headed right now. How about in terms of any API changes or any new features that users can get excited about? Like, obviously performance is something that affects everyone using Alpine, but just yeah. curious if there's a, you know, any new fun things you can do or stuff like that. So there's a handful of little things that aren't probably worth going into detail on, but here, here's maybe the big one. X data in Alpine, in the first two versions of Alpine, X data is how you declare a component. And then everything inside of that has that data. But if you nest X data, if you have like a nested component, it has an entirely new scope. So every component is an island unto itself, even if it's you know nested. Cross-component communication isn't as, as pleasant. So new Alpine, and if you listen to that full stack radio episode, you remember me talking to Adam about this, where he's mm-hmm. like, I would assume that encapsulation would just be like JavaScript closure scope. Anything can access anything outside of itself. And if it changes something, it introduces a new, you know, it overwrites that scope for itself. So that's a big change from day one that I wanted to do with the new version of Alpine is like scope just cascades. If you want a global store, you could put X data on the body tag and there you go. Like you have a global store. There's a billion better ways to do that, but you could. So that's one benefit. And another like cool under the hood thing related to that is every Alpine expression, when it goes to evaluate itself, it just crawls up the DOM stack and collects a bunch of data objects up the DOM tree, literally using dot closest, like in the browser, just crawls up the tree, builds up a stack, and then that's its scope for its execution. So it's all like literally, all the scope is literally attached to the DOM elements themselves. And there's no such thing as like a component class under the hood. It's all totally like ephemeral. Yeah. So anyway, that's one big change that is coming that I don't know if many people will appreciate, but I appreciate it a lot. (laughs) What else? There's a few other ones that I've been toying with and I'm really unsure about, but maybe I'll give you those. The dust hasn't settled on them, but I started building an X intersect 
which is basically a really declarative, nice way to use the intersection observer API. Basically for me, the case is when I'm building like a marketing page and you're scrolling down to something and you want it to fly out, like you just want something to transition in or fly in or animate in some way based on the user scrolling in, which I think is an extremely common need. It's kind of complex, like intersection observer is nice, but it's it's not incredibly intuitive and it takes some some time. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could just say X intersect on any element and then its expression will run when it shows up in the viewport. And that's it. And then I, I added a few niceties like X intersect. You can also say colon enter or colon leave to scope it for either entering the viewport or leaving. And you can say dot once if you only want it to happen once. So that's something that I'm not sure if I'll put in core. I will put it out there, but it might be a plugin. I don't know. So that's one that I think is just like a, a nice utility. I guess I'm working on a little secret project mm. <laughs> that I haven't actually <laughs> talked to anyone about at all on any <laughs> platform, but I'll mention it here. I'm looking into web components and seeing what the story is with Alpine and web components. And I think there's a really cool story there and I'm extremely excited and I have a bunch of prototypes built. Probably not going to be core, but that's something that is definitely secretly on my radar for 2021. <laughs> or is, not so secretly if you're listening to this podcast. Now it's not so secret, <laughs> but yeah. So that's that's a big one that I'm not going to hold up V3 at all for, and it might be a completely separate package, but it's something that you know I'm really personally very curious about and interested in. Very cool. And I, I guess like even more broadly, completely outside of Alpine, what are you most hmm. excited about in the world of front end for 2021? I'm most excited about, uh, so web components <laughs> and forget about the stuff I'm working on, like lit HTML or lit element and any of those polymer, any of those frameworks I think are really cool, but web components has come so far. And I think it's the answer to a lot of things. I just wish it was farther. I wish there was a story for like styling web components. Well, you know, like the scoping of styling is just a huge hurdle in web components and there's no good answer. And I feel like if the web as a platform could answer that, then we could have like first class components cross-platform, cross-framework that, you know, we could plug and play and make, like, why do we have the same things built for Vue and the same things built for React? Like something like a date picker, like why, why are we splitting up all the effort amongst these ecosystems? And I think it would be freaking fantastic if we could share (laughs) them amongst all frameworks. And I see that as a huge pathway in that direction, but there's some serious hurdles like props, scoped slots, styling, like there's things that any componentized framework is used to using and loves using and should love using that web components just totally lacks. That's something that I want to see development in, in the future. And I think we will, because that's been the story so far. Yeah. And it sounds like your secret web components experiments, you know, (laughs) maybe potentially are in in that direction. Yes. Okay. So Caleb, tell us a little bit about your other project, Laravel Livewire. Yeah. So Livewire is actually the reason Alpine exists because a while back, so Phoenix came out with LiveView, which was this way of creating interactive front ends, but only writing back end code. And it was pretty wild. And it, it just struck me when I saw it because it was kind of along all the same philosophies that we talked about before, sort of back end first philosophy that I'd been kind of inching towards. So I wanted to create my own prototype in, in Laravel and That was like a week after I quit my job to go on a sabbatical, quote unquote. And uh, the sabbatical never happened and I never got a new job. And it's been like two years now. (laughs) And uh, I've just been working on Livewire ever since. It's taken on definitely a life of its own. So if you know Phoenix LiveView, I guess I'm, I'm making this note that it's similar in nature and goals, but maybe not exactly just like a Laravel version of Phoenix LiveView. 
But anyway, so yeah, that's kind of the origin story of Live Wire in Laravel is bringing that sort of, can we make a way where you can do the the interactive parts of a front end that rely on the back end that's really painful right now? And there's, you know, like server components in React and there's things that are coming out that are answering this problem, like uh, the server function thingies in Next. You know, there's <laughs> these things that are answering this problem of like, okay, is there a way that we don't have to have two completely separate systems that are talking to each other all the time and like rest, whatever, anyway testing them separately. And so Livewire is an answer to that problem in the Laravel ecosystem. And it uses a lot of the philosophies basically underpinning Hotwire, which just came out. You know, it wasn't inspired by Hotwire because it didn't exist for two years, but, right. but it was inspired by a lot of those Basecamp philosophies and, and GitHub. You know, if you like open your dev tools when you're browsing GitHub and look at the requests sent back and forth, there's very little JSON. It's mostly HTML snippets using like PJAX. There's just so much there to bringing templating back to the back end and passing HTML over the wire. And that's kind of the core fundamental thing with Livewire. But I needed a way to handle like ephemeral little browser interactions. And that's why I created Alpine. So they're two sides of the same coin. But yeah, I work on both projects and I'm super excited about both of them. And yeah, that's Livewire. Yeah, awesome. And then Caleb, tell us a little bit about Make VS Code Awesome. Yeah, I've sort of an early adopter of VS Code. There's probably many earlier than me, but I've just been using it for a long time coming from Sublime. And I liked it for the things that, like the integrated terminal is probably the biggest reason that I went to VS Code. And now it's gained a ton of steam. And there's a bunch of little ways that I found it to be not Sublime, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And I mean that both literally and metaphorically. Yeah, like just the experience. There's so many more things happening and so many more things are jumping out at you on the screen. And it kind of gives you some of the power of a bigger IDE, but it also comes with it a lot of the noise and fan noise and a zillion extensions you have to install. And so I wanted a more Zen experience in VS Code. And I just wanted to streamline the workflow as best as I could. And I, I just did that over years working with VS Code every day. And enough people had asked, like, share your settings file. Share your, how did you do that? How did you do this? And I went, all right, well, how about I create a course? Well, it started as an email list. And then, of course, Balloon knew this huge thing that took me forever and I poured my life into for a while. And yeah. <laughs> and now it's make VS Code awesome. So if you use VS Code, at least go to the landing page and hear me you know, rant about, about some of the things. Yeah, it's really funny. Our YouTube channel, we have a couple of videos up and the biggest question is everyone asks, you know, how do you get that theme in uh, your editor? <laughs> you know, it's oh, like, yeah. Not I, even I talking about the code. Profile bio for the longest time. It was like theme colon, font colon, because I know I'm going to post like the deepest thought I've ever had. And the first comment <laughs> yeah. will inevitably be theme and font. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Well, Caleb, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll see you around. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a great time. Hey, it's Brian again. So it turns out that running a podcast is maybe harder than we thought. And so I kind of want to hear from you. I'm genuinely interested in your feedback. We have to think about new topics, new guests. We have to find them. And don't get me wrong, we can do it, but it's a lot easier if everyone else who's listening helps. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or volunteer to be on Pod Rocket, we'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by going to podrocket.logrocket.com slash contact hyphen us. The hyphen is next to the delete key if you're curious. If all of that is too long, you can just email me directly, brian at logrocket.com. That'd be great. 
Also, if you're feeling magnanimous, be sure to like and subscribe to Pod Rocket. Thank you.